Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Regular exercise can improve flexibility and increase balance and coordination for all older adults. And in fact, to prevent functional decline, physical fitness is a necessity. This generation of older adults is taking exercise to a new level. With high resistance and endurance training, they are becoming competitive as part of an activity called Jerry Athletics. My guest today is Mike Studer, clinical specialist in neurologic physical therapy and a certified exercise expert in the aging adult. He's going to talk about the benefits of exercise and physical activities for older adults why geriatrics is becoming so popular, and how members of this population are participating in this new sport. So welcome, Mike, and thank you for joining me today. Cheryl, I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, Mike, let's just get started by having you give us an overview of what factors affect physical fitness and wellness for older adults. Oh, that's a good question to start right off with because we think globally about some of the societal factors, the perception of what we expect from ourselves and what we expect from our family members as they age can influence physical fitness. So you can imagine, uh, oh, you're 80 years old, you shouldn't be running anymore, uh, or you should not be swimming at that intensity, or you should not be outside riding your bike. Societal expectations influence physical fitness and wellness for over for older adults that's one attribute uh, another attribute truly is some um, obligatory changes that occur with aging that can affect our ability to participate at the intensity that we used to and obviously we'll get into that conversation today those can be speed of the nervous system maximum capacities of the heart and musculoskeletal system those truly uh, would answer the question of how physical fitness is affected so sociologically and physiologically to that point, would you say that I mentioned in my introduction about functional decline, uh, some of those factors that you're talking about, is that what causes functional decline in older adults? Yeah, you're exactly right. So if we take those in the same order as the first question, we talked about societal factors. So societal factors can cause functional decline because it suppresses our expectations and therefore we're not out moving quickly, lifting weights, uh, running, riding bike. So therefore we experience 
disuse, right? And that's a familiar term for all of us. Because we're not doing, we lose the capacity to it. So that's one route by which older adults lose capacities because they don't have stairs in their home, perhaps. They don't stand up from a low surface anymore, or they're not expected to move quickly or against resistance. So it's actually just the loss of exposure uh, to different movements, stimuli, and activities that can cause functional decline. And then again, that second factor, you're so astute in pointing that out that both uh, of the answers to the first question are truly represented in the second question. There are changes with the all the systems of the body that occur with aging, physiologic changes that can cause functional decline, reaction speed, heart rate, uh, ability for the muscles to generate force, uh, those types of considerations. But remember, uh, our individual capacities can sometimes uh, break through societal expectations, and obviously there's celebrated individuals who are not living out the expectations of aging, so we don't all have to decline as much as we expect. So given all of these factors that you've been talking about and functional decline, which would probably make a lot of people who are listening say, well, see, I don't really need this at all. The contrary point of view is really true. So let's hear from you as to why should older adults exercise and be physically active? Yeah, so really the strongest point that can be made on this is the investment principle that successful older adults will recognize very easily. It's called return on investment, right? So if you're 68 years old right now, the uh, opportunity for you to place an investment on your 80-year-old or your 85-year-old self is much easier to put fitness in the bank right now than it is to put fitness in the bank at 80 or 85 years old. So return on investment, I can build some strength that stays with me now that uh, if I am going to decline a little bit with age, I might as well decline from a higher point. I might as well increase my overall bank account so if there is such a thing as inflation or I am spending and losing with aging, then I might as well elevate that overall bank account from which I'm going to drop. So that's probably the most compelling uh, argument that you can make. You are investing in your future self. And let's talk about the physical benefits of exercise. I, I think sometimes people think, oh, well, do I need to build up muscle and be some kind of a... Uh, uh, weightlifter or whatever. Talk about the expectations of exercise for older adults and particularly the, the physical benefits. So the physical benefits of exercise uh, are things that are really just coming to a more complete understanding as science continues to develop. This is quite fascinating. The physical benefits of exercise should be divided into three points, Cheryl. Number one, it's what it does for the muscular system directly. Okay, so the muscles can become stronger, can handle resistant forces. Muscles can have more endurance, your heart and your skeletal muscles, your arms, legs, etc. Uh, it also helps the muscular system in terms of being more flexible and uh, being more resilient to load. So if I have to lift up a 40-pound suitcase and I have been exercising, my tendons are less likely to succumb 
to that load be tore or be broken down if I've been regularly loading them. So that's that's the one aspect. It's what it does for the musculotendinous system. A second benefit of exercise should be categorized as what it does for the body's systems. Heart, lungs, skin, liver, and bone, all of those systems improve through the expression and exposure to exercise, including reduced expressions of stroke, heart attack, cancer, and diabetes. Yes, cancer can be uh, reduced in terms of its incidence when people engage in exercise. And then the third thing, so we talked about muscular system, body systems, and then I'll also say what exercise does for the brain. Improves cognition, reducing the severity and onset of different diseases like dementia, uh, mental health uh, is improved, learning is improved, and also circulation. So three areas, muscular, body systems, and brain should all be evidence-based, scientifically proven benefits of exercise. And let's take that um, another step. How about like emotional benefits or even social benefits? What, What would you tell us? Really, that attribute of improving the brain comes into mental health. So one of the things that we talk about uh, is the one benefit from exercise, and and I want to be clear on this, this could come as a benefit from physical activity. It doesn't always have to be go to the gym and do exercise. Doing something that is physically exerting could be something that is pleasurable for you, like um, working on a um, a collective neighborhood effort to create a community garden, uh, to be able to uh, build a, uh, uh, a habitat for humanity home. So let's talk about physical activity, not just exercise there. And so the mental and emotional benefits can come in the form of things that we call endorphins that can suppress uh, our experience with pain, uh, serotonin, which can improve our sense of mental health and well-being, dopamine, which can give us what we call our reward system, energized sense of uh, surprise and reward and elation and pleasure. So all of those can actually help us from the mental health attribute. And then socially, we think about participating in something that we know is good for us, is not only an antidepressive, but doing this in a group setting can promote oxytocin. And finally, doing something that is physically active, that is productive for someone else, can also uh, improve our social context and our mental health. So it, it's pretty dramatic when we're doing things for our own wellness directly uh, or for the benefit of others that are physically engaging. And add a couple of comments about good nutrition and getting enough sleep. I think sometimes people... You know, we're hearing what you say about exercise, but I think it needs to be taken in context as to other aspects of life, too. And we have to eat and we have to sleep. So talk a little bit about those. That's a really great point to bring that in. And and this is an area that fascinates me. And, And I'll tell you, for us to optimally gain from our efforts to become more fit... We need to inform the body that there's going to be sufficient nutrition coming in to both continue to participate in that exercise, yes, I can walk another mile, and for the body to be able to invest some of the energy that's coming in in the form of nutrition 
to be able to invest that back to the muscles. Remember, if you're starving yourself and you're exercising, the body's going to take the nutrition that you've consumed and just give it back to the survival systems so that your bones stay healthy, so that your immune system stays productive, so that your brain can continue to consume one-third of the glucose that it normally takes. If you're not taking in enough energy, you won't benefit from exercise because there won't be enough reserve calories and energy storage systems to be able to build back better. So that's the nutrition component, and certainly hydration uh, is relevant there for us to keep the body systems healthy and to continue participation in exercise. But let's look at sleep. Sleep is important because this is critically the time where we release the greatest amount of something called growth hormone. And so that's a catalyst for the rebuilding process. So if I exercise and I want my muscles to rebound back stronger because of the stimulus of exercise, I need to sleep with quality and duration to release growth hormone so that I do rebuild back stronger. So, Mike, as you've been doing this now for quite some time and working with older adults primarily, uh, what do you hear or see insofar as common barriers to exercise for older adults? And in fact, I might even take that one step further. Are there some individuals who might be too old to begin exercise? What, what do you hear and what do you advise? Good questions there, and, and some specific citations about this would be helpful and beneficial for our uh, attendees and our audience as well. Number one, we'll go back up to exactly what we started with at the top of uh, the interview. We'll talk about social barriers. So expectations for older adults are the most common barriers and the largest and most pervasive barriers limiting individuals' access to and expectations of exercising. The second thing is that I would say as a barrier would be educational barriers. Many times, even healthcare practitioners or older individuals themselves provide too low of a dosage so that the stimulus of exercise is not sufficient to be able to recognize a benefit. And if you can imagine, if you've been doing the same treadmill routine or the same very lightweight routine for years and you're not elevating your dosage enough because you're fearful or you're not educated that you need to have a higher dosage, then you never see results and then you don't have that reward system that continues to engage you and cause you to want to go back and do more exercise. So two things, societal barriers and educational barriers in the form uh, of too low of a dosage. Now you also asked me a very exceptional question. Uh, is anyone ever too old to begin exercising? And that's where I want to kind of bring in some citations. The barriers are being broken by the day here, Cheryl. Uh, we see stories about Julia Hurricane Hawkins, who at 105 years old is every year setting a new record for a 40-meter dash. We hear stories about Ed Whitlock, who uh, at 70 years old ran a marathon under three hours, who at Gene Dykes uh, ran a two-hour and 54-minute uh, marathon. And so we're talking about averaging less than seven minutes per mile. And so we see older adults improving their capacity to successfully perform with longevity. Uh, 
one of the greatest stories in Major League Baseball right now is Albert Pujols, who at uh, 40, uh, I think he's 44 years old right now, 43 or 44 years old, which is considered to be very old in baseball, is actually uh, leading his team in batting since the All-Star break uh, in his final declared season. So the expectations are being debunked and broken. uh, And I would say no, there are no individuals that are by age too old to begin exercising. Given all of this information now, and you're encouraging us, um, but we want to ask one more question. So if an, an older adult has not exercised much before, would it be wise for him or her to consult with a physician before starting um, with exercise? That's a great question, and that it comes down to an individual decision that's relevant to the individual's uh, past medical history. So... Depending on their past medical history, they may need to consult with their physician before starting a more aggressive exercise program. An alternative option that could be very uh, reachable and approachable and comprehensive would be a visit to a physical therapist with the goal of developing a personalized exercise program. Uh, It provides the new exerciser with a contact with a trained medical health practitioner that has a a doctorate level degree, someone that can take history, understand physiology, examine readiness, and then that individual, the physical therapist, can determine are there any red flags that indicate this individual should undergo some imaging uh, or have a physician uh, check on medications uh, and further testing. So that screening opportunity can come at that first level with a visit to a physical therapist. I'm wondering if someone did ask their physician about going to a physical therapist, would some kind of a physician's order be necessary for that person in order to go to the physical therapist? Based on your insurance and based on what state you live in, you may or may not need a prescription to go see a physical therapist. Uh, More than 40 states now have what's known as direct access, which means you can present yourself to a physical therapy clinic and say, I would like to be seen for this reason and be able to be seen for a number of visits before you may or may not need to circle back to a physician. Remember that insurance caveat there, and the clinic will be able to tell you, oh, you've got United Healthcare, or you've got Blue Cross, or you have Medicare, we need you to see a physician first, and they'll be the most informed about your specific insurance and what your state can allow. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, training for older adults. You are a physical therapist, yes. and you mentioned, a, a, again, a little bit about learning more about their history and physiological status, if you will. What do you also think about and talk about with um, an older adult um, insofar as their physical and, and mental status? What, what kind of considerations do you think about with an older adult as compared to, say, younger individuals who you work with? Yeah, I appreciate how you phrased that question. So I would break that down into physical considerations And those would include age-specific considerations about reaction speed for balance and protective responses. So I need to think about how quickly and what 
uh, I'm doing to uh, ask the individuals to move in a multi-directional, fast uh, uh, manner depending on age because we know reaction speed does go down a little bit with the slowing of nerve conduction velocity. Nerves don't transmit information as quickly as we age. So I'll have physical considerations that include uh, those considerations of reaction speed, maximum heart rate, and bone health. So those three things would be the physical considerations that I would have for anyone based on age. Then I would have some person-specific considerations that aren't really so age-dependent. I would want to see what their recent exposure to resistance training would be because that tells me about the health of their muscles and their tendons, right? And then also bone health and any other medical conditions or medications that this individual is taking. So those are very person-specific considerations that are not age-dependent. Finally, I have to think to myself, uh, that age really doesn't have as much of an impact to be considered that experience cannot counter. What I mean by that is if an individual has experience with the movements and the reaction speed plus the court awareness of like a tennis or a pickleball, then truly there are not as many age-specific losses in decision-making, distraction tolerance, uh, or the related that should be influential, which means if you've got the experience in this already, that gives me the permission to be able to not highlight your age so much and engage you in a little bit higher level training. Certainly, we do know that we lose some capacity to dual task, reaction speed with distractions, and that dementia does become more increasingly prevalent over 80 years old. So that could be an age consideration, but the red flags and screening for that are quite easy. These are pathology-based, and they're not age-based considerations, just to round that out. And are you noticing, Mike, that more older adults are becoming involved in athletics? And we're going to be talking about Jerry Athletics, which is your specialty, more in the second half of this interview. But just in general, involved in uh, senior Olympics and other kinds of activities, as well as just physical fitness generally. Um, is there a trend of, of increasing uh, participation? And if so, why? Fortunately, the numbers bear this out, and I don't even have to guess about it. So the National Senior Games Association holds a senior games event in a different location throughout the United States every other year on odd years. The pandemic was one exception. It didn't occur in 2021. And so now we're having consecutive years of this year, 2022 in Florida, as well as next year, 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The numbers there are increasing every single year without exception to the point where we had 13,000 competitors this last or this year uh, in Florida in March. Uh, and that has been a steadily increasing trend from, let's say, 8,000 uh, just as recent as seven or eight years ago. To support that, we have senior games at the state level. Those are also increasing in popularity and in participation uh, throughout the nation. So the absolute truth is for sure more older adults are becoming involved. Why? Well, 
there seems to be a sociological permission now to respect, oh, we need to exercise so that we not only have longevity, here's the big thing, people have always been striving to live longer, but now there seems to be a societal uh, change here and evolution, if you will, to respect the fact that we not only need to live longer, but we need to live with quality of life longer, so I need to be more capable so I can maintain my independence. Therefore, that increases the participation in physical fitness activities. Sounds good. This is a great setup for the second half when we start talking about Jerry Athletics. But we're going to take a short break here right now. In case you tuned in late, we're talking with Mike Studer, who is a clinical specialist in neurologic physical therapy, and he is also a certified exercise expert in the aging adult. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Aging Matters on WERA is brought to you in part by Synergy Home Care. Synergy Home Care provides premier in-home care for you or your loved one throughout Northern Virginia, including personal care, homemaker services, companion and memory care, and transportation. Call 703-558-3435 or visit SynergyHomeCare.com for more information. Synergy Home Care will find a care solution to meet your needs. Welcome back. We have been having a great conversation about the importance of exercise and physical activity with Mike Studer, who is a clinical specialist in neurologic physical therapy and he's also a certified exercise expert in the aging adult. And Mike, we've been uh, mentioning it off and on about, and I, of course, mentioned it in my introduction, about Jerry Athletics. But I'm sure that our listeners are eager to hear more about this concept. What, what is meant by Jerry Athletics, and where did that term come from? Uh, so I developed that term, geriathletics, in 2007, Cheryl, to celebrate and recognize the special category and accomplishments of people as they age, uh, to try to make that societal push to uh, say that it is not only acceptable and permissible, but desirable to continue to participate as we age. So rather than people making a decision to stop participating in a sport that they've loved for years because they can't run, bike, or swim to keep up with their past times, I wanted to create this different category, if you will, of Jerry Athletics to celebrate how long they could continue to participate in an activity that they love. And to that point then, Mike, what might the circumstances be that would lead certain adults to decide to compete as an athlete, as opposed to those folks who just want to stay in shape. What's the difference? Who is there a certain type of athlete that is going to kind of go off towards the Jerry Athletics and the other just do exercise in front of the on the treadmill? What do you see? 
Yeah, great question. And the whole umbrella of geriatletics doesn't mean that someone has to compete in a sport against other individuals. They can think of themselves as a geriathlete, uh, an individual that is aging and still participating uh, at a level where they're competing against the aging process. And that's totally acceptable as well. But to speak directly to your question, I would say that personal preferences and beliefs may be the strongest influencer. Do you define yourself as a competitor, someone that likes to go out, sign up for a race or an event and compete? Most individuals have a common goal just of increasing their quality life longevity that we talked about earlier. And how we get there should be different because all people are different. You could either say, I am a competitor or I need a commitment device, uh, a competition that I've signed up for to keep me active, to keep me training on a regular basis. Perhaps some individuals that sign up for an event uh, will see themselves as being particularly gifted or skilled or experienced in a recognized game. I love playing tennis, so therefore I'm going to sign up for this and I'm going to train so that I can do that. Um, the final influencer, to speak to your question, uh, could be a significant one, and that could just be your peer groups and your community. Uh, and your community could be the environment. Do you have bike paths available, local gyms available? What's your climate like, and what is your family supporting you to do uh, or dissuading you from doing? All those are influential. Another aspect of uh, increased physical activity and exercise is, is that a lot of older adults are working with personal trainers. So let's talk a little bit about that first. Might the personal trainer help someone to kind of advance to the next level and become more involved in geriatrics? What have you seen? I would endorse that wholeheartedly. Many people do work with a personal trainer uh, now directly in person or even by virtual connection. Uh, structure and logic to training is something you can expect to gain from working with a personal trainer. Uh, this includes considerations of dosage. How hard should I work? How much weight should I lift? How fast should I be moving? It also includes considerations of periodization. When I'm working to focus on strength, and now maybe for the next six or eight weeks, I'm working to focus on endurance. So that can come from a personal trainer, as well as considerations of how should I structure my exercise so that I can recognize the greatest benefits for the activities that I want to do, recreational hiking, vacationing, playing tennis, and pickleball. So a knowledgeable trainer should be helpful in creating an informed program with these considerations. I'm glad you brought up pickleball because it's so popular now. In fact, I just did a TV show a couple of weeks ago that's on Aging Matters uh, website now. But not only personal trainers, but I suspect that older adults are getting instructions in new kinds of activities. And I was wondering if that too can be a part of the process since I'm assuming also that in geriatrics there could be team sports as well as individual sports. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, you're right about that too. And so uh, having a coach 
personally for you or for your team would certainly be something that is becoming more in vogue. Someone that can help you with uh, the biomechanics of how you're moving could be a physical therapist, uh, could look at the total health of your body, but could be a coach with specific experience in this activity that's coaching you personally or your team. And speaking to your question, uh, yes, in uh, national senior games and state senior games, there are many team sports, some of which, uh, not to list all of them, could include something as small as doubles tennis or pickleball, um, as large as uh, basketball, softball, uh, and many other events like that, as well as other individual sports. But coaches could be available poolside right there for you too. So really, a lot of the uh, previous barriers to uh, being able to increase your performance are now being broken through with these different types of economies uh, for individuals to be able to find themselves as an expert and hired to be a coach for a geriathlete now. And I wanted to find out from you also about working with a physical therapist. You talked earlier in the interview about the interaction between a physical therapist and an older adult, and they focus more on uh, health conditions and physiology and and um, medications. And it's a, it's a much more personal kind of uh, interaction. If, again, if someone wants to participate in Jerry Athletics, might there be certain circumstances where a physical therapist uh, involvement might be more appropriate? Yeah, and so that's a great first step. We talked about, do I need to go see a physician? Probably first step would be to a physical therapist. So someone that can comprehensively determine an exercise prescription for you. And then this is a trained medical health professional with a doctorate that can also understand patho, problem-based, pathophysiology, and determine what things do I need to watch for considering the conditions you have, diabetes, spinal stenosis, neuropathy, arthritis. So I'll create an exercise program, not only for you as an 81-year-old male, but also for you as an 81-year-old male with diabetes. So that's where a physical therapist would be the uh, the professional of choice uh, to go to first. And real easy for you to find a physical therapist that would have expertise just by going on to choosept.com. Um, and it's just those words, choose the letters pt.com, and that would be the easiest way for an individual to find a physical therapist and really kind of those reasons why you would do it. Start an exercise program, screen to make sure that I'm safe, get me something personalized and something that understands my health conditions. Okay, well, now that we know who we can work with, um, let's talk about exercise training. What is meant by principles of exercise training and and how does it apply to an overall exercise program for older adults? Science helps me along here in understanding that the principles of exercise training include overload. Uh, so training at higher levels of resistance or higher speed or for longer distances than my preferred activity will command so that I'm readying my body. So overload is one principle. Another principle is specificity. I improve in the same activities that I train myself. Uh, so uh, if I want to improve my swimming, I need to spend a lot of my time, but not all of it, on swimming, right? So specificity. Another item that I, or 
principle that we talked about earlier is periodization, but I only briefly mentioned that. So periodization may mean that we have an intentional program uh, these four weeks focused on strength, the next four weeks focused on endurance, the next four weeks focused on uh, sports-specific movements. Uh, and then finally, another principle of uh, exercise training would include recovery. And then recovery is uh, certainly something that can be age-specific that we can look at, but the the change over the course of the um, lifespan could include the amount of recovery to expect and the specific body part and system considerations, thinking about bone health and expectations of strength. These are the types of things uh, that are uh, considerations specifically for the older adult. And let me follow up on that. I heard you say endurance and strength. I also, there was another term as I was creating the questions for this interview, I saw power. Help us understand now when older adults exercise, and I this is very specific, what is the difference between those three, endurance, strength, and power? And, and explain to us how can each of these be achieved for this, this population? I think I can make that very palatable for us. So I'm going to start off by giving you kind of the definitions of them, and then I'm going to make it real practical. So endurance comes in the form, in two forms, muscular endurance, how many repetitions can my arms or legs do, as well as cardiovascular endurance, how long can my heart continue to perform at this level. Next, we would consider and the... Uh, the attribute of strength. And strength is just how much resistance can I work against? Weights can I lift, uh, you know, and uh, stairs that I can climb, things like this. And then that fourth attribute, because we divided endurance into two factors, muscular uh, and cardiovascular, the fourth factor that you brought up for us here today is power. And power is, uh, practically speaking, uh, force. And it's really the combination of moving against resistance at a given speed. Uh, so strength would be, can I get up from a chair? Power would be, how many times in 30 seconds can I get up from a chair? Strength would be, can I climb the stairs? Power would be, how fast can I climb the stairs? That's the practical difference between the two and hopefully makes it a little bit more palatable. When we get into that aspect of and the attributes of endurance, uh, can I lift my 15-pound cat up 15 times uh, up to my chest and back down, that's muscular endurance, which is clearly a difference with, uh, between that and cardiovascular endurance. Can I walk around the block with my dog? And Mike, do you find that older athletes may need a longer recovery time and might there have to be some tweaks to their training again because they are older adults? The nice thing is the science of recovery continues to develop. The answer is yes. Older adults need more recovery time. That's the single biggest difference in training an individual in their 30s and an individual in their 80s. The single biggest difference is recovery time. Now, the science of recovery has become more sophisticated for us to be able to understand that we can use different modalities, such in that tweaks of the training that you mentioned too, temperature, 
Active recovery, which means moving lightly after moving with resistance, massage, hydration, nutrition, all of these things can optimize recovery. And so one uh, key caveat that I would give our listeners is that um, we can actually uh, try to mitigate our own recovery time uh, by following endurance training with strength training days rather than the reverse. Uh, so that it actually helps you benefit from your strength training day if you did endurance beforehand rather than endurance after. And then a rest period can be massage, cold bath, uh, even a warm uh, sauna, etc. So we need more recovery time, but the science is really helping us in this realm. And talk about exercise equipment. I mean, you see so many things. You go by the some gym uh, as you walk up the street and you see all these various things that people use. And, and even when people go for physical therapy, what exercise equipment should an older adult use in an exercise program? Tell us a little bit about the benefits and as important, are there certain ones that they shouldn't use? The single easiest answer for this to start with is that the best equipment uh, for someone is the piece of equipment that they are engaged in, uh, that they feel that they have access to, uh, and that they look forward to using. Uh, so it's the exercise equipment that you want to use is your best piece of exercise equipment because you can have uh, a $12,000 piece of exercise equipment and it's not best for you if it just lays dormant, okay? Okay. So the first thing that we have to consider is that consistency of training is superior to intensity on any exercise equipment or activity, right? So if I do something 15 days a month, um, it's going to be better for me, even if I participate at a moderate level in uh, a somewhat acceptable exercise equipment, than if I participate in it only once per month because I can only afford to do it once a month. After that, personal preference and access, then we consider safety and comprehensive nature of a machine. So how many total collective muscles are used to operate this machine and can I do it without risk to myself? Many adults benefit from a class of machines known as semi-recumbent machines, bikes, steppers, and ellipticals. And so that would be my first practical uh, answer to your question there, is to take a look at something that's semi-recumbent so that you can exercise intensively without risk of falling off or injuring yourself. Finally, I'll add this. Some people don't like to exercise indoors at all, and I have to recognize that equipment-based exercise is for some people and not for others, and that's totally fine. There are inherent benefits to exercising outdoors that we have to recognize, mental health, exposure to light, and vitamin D, that I want to make sure our listeners are aware of as well so that they don't shame themselves if they don't like to use exercise equipment indoors. Again, because we're talking about exercise equipment, there could be the possibility of injury. And uh, help us understand what considerations need to be made for injury prevention, given the nature of the older adult and the possible situation or health conditions that might be present. The number one consideration for an older adult with regard to injury management is how quickly we increase the expectations 
uh, for a person that has been sedentary. So managing muscular tears, tendinous tears, uh, or loads of bone uh, in, in terms of tolerating resistance and time on feet, we always want to think about being very systematic in terms of how quickly we are increasing the demand. So that's the number one consideration right there. So we additionally, after that, have to think about timing of recovery, which we spoke to, the speed of increasing our dosage, which I just spoke to, and then degrees of spinal flexion, how much we're closing the spine has to be a consideration uh, for a person as we age. So we think about the health of our lumbar or lower spine. And then the final consideration with injury prevention has to be considerations of balance. The speed of the movement demands when I have a system that doesn't react and transmit uh, impulse as quickly to the body or from the body, that would be the final consideration for injury prevention. I would also think that this is really why it's so important for an older adult to be working with the right trainer, personal trainer, or physical therapist who really understands the anatomy and physiology of an older adult. So they are aware that they're working with a different kind of person an older person as opposed to a younger person. Would, would you agree? Uh, I so appreciate you adding that on because there's actually a very quick examination that's called the Senior Athlete Fitness Examination. It's an acronym SAFE. And anybody can look that up. You could just type in SAFE Older Adult uh, exercise screening. And so that was developed by a friend and colleague of mine uh, from the University of South Dakota, uh, Rebecca Jordray, and she actually attends National Senior Games. And now we have a representation at basically every state senior games where the SAFE Senior Athlete Fitness Exam is being conducted. You could go to a physical therapist in almost any town and say, can you screen me to determine my readiness for participating? Participating in competitive athletics, can you uh, perform the safe examination for me? And there you go. That's a perfect answer to your question right there. And I would even want to take this one step further, not only injury prevention, but there is the possibility of overexertion. Either somebody isn't properly warmed up or prepared. Tell us a little bit about the signs of, of overexertion. And to that point, Mike, what action should be taken if one or more signs are are present, both for the older adult himself or herself or the trainer or the physical therapist who is working with that person? I think I can be comprehensive on this and tell you that heart rate that doesn't recover back down after a person is done exerting, heart rate that's staying elevated would be a sign of overexertion. Additionally, uh, signs of overheating, changes in skin color and sweating patterns. Uh, additionally, confusion could be a sign of overexertion. Obviously, pain that persists or radiates away from a body part. Uh, additionally, uh, an individual uh, has to be ready to be uh, alert 
for their own recognition of these signs of overexertion, and then any training partner that they're working with, whether that be uh, a cohort colleague that's also 78 years old uh, or their training partner, needs to be aware of the individual's medical conditions because uh, these could be entirely different if I have diabetes or hypertension or history of a stroke. So we have to think about signs of overexertion that could even go all the way into the realms of neurologic signs for a person that has that history. Now, you also asked me what action should be taken if signs are present. And uh, while I don't want to draw that answer out too much, I will tell you that the action taken is specific to the symptoms presented. So that is to say, hydration, nutrition, rest, and change of dosage would all be the tools that I would use depending on what signs this individual is presenting with. And that would also apply to just preventing uh, these signs of overexertion in the first place. Yes, knowing your own medical history, alerting those people around you, uh, and giving yourself permission to be cognizant of those signs and to be uh, willing to pump the brakes or put a stop to your activity if you're experiencing those signs. Okay, I wanted to get into a little bit more on the Jerry Athletics and was wondering now if a competitive Jerry athlete wants to participate in competitive and recreational sports, should that individual have some kind of an individualized training program? What do you suggest? So it's helpful to be able to begin participating in something that you enjoy, investigate your tolerance of and desire to beginning a walking program, hiking program, a stationary cycling program, swimming program. See if you have interest and the capacity to persist uh, may be a first step. But I will I tell you that engaging with a professional that's knowledgeable of the sport or knowledgeable of exercise prescription for an older adult absolutely would help you maximize, again, that return on investment. So your time spent exercising could be maximized toward greater gains if you are under the um, tutelage, if you will, of a physical therapist, a personal trainer, uh, and etc. So depending on what your needs are, you may have different needs there. So it's true for all sports that uh, participating with someone who's knowledgeable, coach, personal trainer, uh, would be very beneficial to make certain that you're spending your time and getting the greatest amount of benefit. You'll also have access to someone that can give you a variety of programming. So you're going to reduce your likelihood of burnout. In addition, an individual who's uh, an expert in this should be able to offer some cross-training that can say, all right, let's not only just do this movement, but let's do these related movements that gets you out of this so that you are appreciating the multi-directional nature uh, of an activity and not just always running straight forward. So more can be said there, but the best examples, speaking to your question, could include marathon training plans, and we know those are uh, formidable. Triathlon training plans, hiking training plans to get yourself ready for uh, a long walk in Spain, etc. So most sports don't have one widely accepted program, but that's starting to change as well. And I want to make sure that our listeners hear more about the kinds of activities, uh, the competition activities and the 
uh, other sports that are included in Jerry athle- uh, athletics. So talk about that. And then also, because we're getting closer to the end of the interview, and I want to make sure that you talk more about Jerry athletics generally, are both w- men and women uh, participants? What are the qualifications? Uh, where and when are the events? How often? So give us kind of an overview of what people should know about Jerry Athletics. Yeah, thanks for framing that question the way you did. So every other year, there's a National Senior Games, and the activities could include uh, badminton, bowling, cornhole even, cycling, golf, pickleball, power walking, race walking, running, uh, racquetball, shuffleboard, swimming, ping pong, uh, track and field events of all different types, tennis, uh, and triathlon. Uh, So those are, uh, you know, all of those types of individual sports. And then team sports, basketball, volleyball, uh, soccer, and softball, as I mentioned. Those are the national senior games, and those are every other years and the odd years. Every year, every state is going to have a senior games. They could be called the Senior Olympics. Uh, In Utah, they're called the Huntsman's Games. But in almost every other state, they're called senior games. And those happen annually every year. Now, Cheryl, you asked me how you would qualify. So you can sign up at a a state senior games and not need to qualify to participate as long as you're over 50 years old. You just sign yourself up and participate at the time and place of the event. To get to the National Senior Games, you either have to meet what's called a uh, minimum uh, standard of qualification so that you can demonstrate, oh, wow, you were able to run the 5K this fast or swim the 100 meters this fast, you automatically qualify, or you place high enough in a state senior games to be able to be in the top four, and then you automatically qualify. So that can give you a little bit of an overview there and hopefully uh, can answer that part of the question. And I was just wondering, at this point, are there more men that are participating than women or women than men, or is it about even? And what is the age range? Just to kind of help our listeners understand who's, who's participating in these events. Yeah, it's pretty equal for men or women, and each year we see the percentage of women increasing. Uh, We know that women tend to live longer than men, so as you go into the later decades, we see that the percentage has flipped a little bit, where we see more women attending uh, and participating than men when we go to the later ages. Now, you asked about the age ranges, so it starts at 50, and we have participants going into the triple digits plus, uh, so uh, that is uh, always a great highlight to see the 90-year-olds and 100-year-olds out there. So they're actually all doing it for sure. Okay. Final question. You have mentioned some resources already. Anything else that we should know to learn about Jerry Athletics and getting involved? Yeah, so I hope that the users will be able to search for the Senior Athlete Fitness Examination, use choosept.com, search your state senior games or senior Olympics in every state. Uh, I know we'll probably have those resources for hyperlinks in your show notes. And then look up your minimum standards for the national senior games um, and really uh, also benefit from the United States, the types of information that we've got here uh, for the uh, Centers for Disease Control for, you know, different 
agencies, uh, in, including uh, National Association on Aging, um, and all of those resources that are available to us uh, really throughout the nation and through our healthcare uh, environment. Just consume the resources. There's a lot of great information out there for you. But probably first and foremost, go find a local trustworthy representative, someone that is impassioned to help you out, and they can explode your local and national resources for you even more. All right. Good advice. So I want to thank Mike Studer, physical therapist and certified exercise expert in the aging adult for joining us today. And if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we've produced, in addition to the podcasts on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media, and more is available on their website, which is inkmouthmedia.com. So thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.